and welcome to Power Play for this Friday, March the 3rd. I'm Joyce Napier. Tonight, a defiant prime minister rejects calls for an election meddling inquiry. As a government, we have always taken this issue extraordinarily seriously, as Canadians expect us to. Trudeau cites the roster of type secure, top security and intelligence officials who insist Canada's election's integrity held in the last two votes to quash calls for a national inquiry. But is it time for, pro for proactive legislation? Then, a major human trafficking bust in Ontario. They also describe living in deplorable conditions, including overcrowding. What can Canada offer the victims we bring you the latest? Plus, it's Friday, and our press gallery is standing by to break down the political plays and misplays of the week. But first... Canadians have a lot of different reasons to be confident that, indeed, the integrity of our elections in 2019 and 2021 held, and that, on an ongoing basis, the government will continue to strengthen our capacity to counter those attempts at foreign interference that come from China, from Russia, from, uh, from Iran, from other countries that are looking to destabilize and throw chaos uh, into our democracies. The Prime Minister today continuing to reject growing calls for an election meddling public inquiry, even after a House committee voted for one. And today at the G20 foreign ministers meeting in India, Melanie Jolie sat down with her new Chinese counterpart for the first time. In a statement, the minister says in part that she was direct, firm and unequivocal that Canada will never tolerate any form of foreign interference in our democracy and internal affairs by China. We will never accept any breach of our territorial integrity and sovereignty. And foreign interference is not just a Canadian problem. Yesterday, on this program, Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull detailed the series of laws he brought in in 2018 to crack down on foreign interference and weighed in on the calls in Canada for a public inquiry. Take a listen. One of the, the best ways to build trust in public service is transparency. You know, you've got, to, you've got to be, sunlight is the key. If people can see what's going on, then, you know, then they know the facts. And then conspiracy theories and anxieties uh, that may not have a lot of basis in fact can't develop. So why isn't Canada following Australia's model? And what protections are there for individual Canadians who are targets of interference? Joining me now is Chuck Kwan. He's the former chair of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. And Katie Neviabandi, Secretary General of Amnesty International Canada. Thanks to both of you for being there. Happy Friday. Um, We've got a pretty hefty topic here, but I want to ask both of you, uh, and I'll start with you, Chuck, where the media reports in the last weeks, the first you heard about possible Chinese interference in, in Canadian affairs and in Canadian elections, or has foreign interference been on your radar for a while? It's been on our radar for more than 10, 15 years. Um, uh, in, in, in many cases, is a very gradual uh, uh, increasing of interference that we have observed 
from China. Unlike CSIS, uh, we are on the ground a lot of times and we speak the language, we understand the culture, we read the social media. So we are quite aware of what's going on. And I mean, I, I can even name you the names of those 11 people uh, whom CSIS suspected uh, have, have been uh, kind of uh, being under the influence of China. And, and Katie, have you, have you been following this for as long? We have. We have. In fact, uh, we uh, issued a report in 2017 and then, uh, and then in 2020 uh, in partnership with the, uh, the coalition that includes a number of human rights activists from China, in which we urged at the time uh, the Canadian government to take this, this matter quite seriously because the reports that we were receiving indicated that these uh, human rights activists who are based in Canada were uh, the subject of harassment and clearly done uh, you know, by foreign interference. Uh, but what, and, and part of what we advocated for was a concerted response uh, in order to better protect these individuals. Um, but what I'd like to add is that it extends, I think you were focusing on China, but it does extend beyond China as well. There are other states uh, who, uh, you know, I think we often assume that once people are on Canadian soil, they are safe and they are no longer the subject of threats from their respective governments. But it, it, it's actually very far from, from the fact and from the truth. And we have several reports that indicate that human rights defenders who are here continue to receive threats and harassment uh, that's often originating from their, their home states. Sometimes it goes through uh, embassy officials uh, who are based here in Canada. Um, Sometimes it's in a way that's difficult to trace, but they know, the activists themselves know, that uh, the, the subject and the object of these threats are to silence them. Uh, and so we've, yeah. we've been calling for a more concerted effort to respond to those. And, and, and I want to get to those efforts, but I, 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 I want to ask Chuck this, this question. You, you, what kind of specific pressures, threats, are people under from, in your case, from China? Well, it could, uh, could be a very innocuous phone call in the middle of the night to many of our dis, uh, critics of China. Uh, could be uh, people like myself or Tibetans or Uyghurs. Uh, and this is the thing that Kerry was uh, uh, talking about. You know, we have documented these harassments. Uh, you know, it could be uh, a confrontation, in-person confrontation as well. Uh, um, so all these things are happening to, to, to the critics of China and especially to a lot of people who fled, fled China. Uh, and it doesn't have to be even in person. It could be just a very nice phone call and say, hey, how's your brother-in-law? Uh, knowing that your brother-in-law is back home somewhere in China and that he might not get a good job if you don't follow what I told you, what I told you to do. So these are all kinds of things that the, China can get, get, get to these uh, critics. And, uh, and we've been urging uh, the Canadian government, especially RCMP, to set up a hotline. And this has, uh, at the first instance, when we issued a report uh, with Amnesty International in the lead uh, in 2017, it was ignored. And only after we issued it on, uh, in around, around 2020 that we got uh, some traction in the press. But in the meantime, 
uh, I'm still hearing saying people like uh, one of the MPs were asking, saying that, well, we need more time to study this and, and do a do a committee study and whether we need it or not. Uh, so this is something that 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 uh, I, I that I find very alarming. And I want to go back yeah, to Katie. Yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I want to go back to you know the whole CSIS uh, uh, kind of leak and, and uh, warning this uh, this time around. It's almost like you know you you're on a Titanic and you're looking at for iceberg and now you see a little bit of iceberg coming out and you're you know that should be served as a warning enough. But the more troubling thing was that below the iceberg, there's another ninety percent of the body of the iceberg that we haven't seen yet. And this is something that China has been building over the last 10, 15 years, that 90% that is submerged into, under the water that uh, uh, CSIS might not have picked up. Katie, I, I, I want to ask you that because you, you see not only pressure from China but from other countries. I would ask you, what other countries, and do you think that people who are being harassed and pressured, do they have a place to go? Do they know where to go? To, to complain to the RCMP, to CSIS, do they have any idea that, that they could go somewhere? Mm -hmm. Yes, so, so the, uh, this is a pattern that we're seeing across the board, um, and that includes several countries, the majority of them being from repressive states or countries that tend to repress either the opposition or civil society or their journalists. And so we, we tend to see that that happens. And as Chuck described, it could be a phone call. But we've also seen things like intimidation of student groups on campus. We've seen things like fake letters being sent to these uh, defenders, fake emails, or again, uh, calls, anonymous phone calls, either to themselves or to family members. Sometimes, occasionally, people being followed as well. And the sense of uh, a recurring um, following pattern or observance of their daily, uh, daily routine. So, uh, the challenge, I think, uh, is exactly uh, that, I think, the question that you pose, who do they go to? Here, I think we've been hearing about foreign interference and how the state can respond, but we often the individuals who are in a country tend to be forgotten. So where do you go when things like that happen? You go to your local police office, except that your local police office doesn't have the international and geopolitical context to fully address this. So often it's treated as an isolated incident um, instead of a pattern of behavior, and it's not given the proper and adequate response that it needs, um, which is why we've been calling for a, a, a more of a focal point that is really dedicated to uh, serve and respond and protect individuals who are faced by foreign interference efforts. Uh, a, a complaint mechanism and, and a focal point that people are hotline that people could go to and where these uh, threats could be triaged and assessed uh, and this data can be collected and, uh, uh, and treated adequately. Uh, so that's, um, that's one of the key calls that we're making. Again, bearing in mind that many particularly historically marginalized communities have a difficult relationship with, with the often law enforcement authorities and surveillance, and we have to make sure that this, isn't, uh, this doesn't become an avenue to further surveil these communities, but we need a solution for people uh, to go to. And the good thing, and unfortunately this is the only time we have left, but the good thing about 
this conversation that we're having, very public conversation on Parliament Hill and across Canada, is that these things are coming to the surface and perhaps, you know, the politicians who sat, sit not so far from where I am uh, will do something about it now that it is in the public domain. So, I th Chuck Kwan and Katie Nivyabandi, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for I having us. Thank you. Now let's continue our conversation about alleged Chinese election interference with pollster Nick Nanos, the founder and chief data scientist of Nanos Research. Hi, Nick. Hey, Joyce. It's very good to have you on the show. Now, you know, this is an interesting conversation that we've been having. We've had two guests here who told us, look, this is not new. We have been seeing this for a decade, at least. So, but your new numbers, and that's what's interesting, show, and I think we have boards here, that 71% of those polled view alleged Chinese interference as a threat, and here it is, to Canada's democracy. So, given previous in in incidents, I'm thinking about the Chinese balloon that flew up for a week. I'm thinking maybe TikTok, we're not sure about that. And now allegations of Chinese interference. Is this issue gaining steam in Canada? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's basically on the radar for a significant majority of Canadians. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that 2%, Joyce, don't think it's a threat at all. You know, and another 23% think that it's a minor threat. So the reality is, you know, 9 out of every 10 Canadians think that uh, the alleged Chinese interference is some sort of threat to Canadian democracy. And, uh, you know, so it's on the radar. People are worried and they're probably wondering what we're doing about the future. Okay, so are they, you know, now that it is in, as you say, in the spotlight, are Canadians confident in Canada's ability or in the government's ability and the agency's ability to protect them? Well, the, the long answer is nope. How's that? <laughs> no, in, in the survey that, you know, we asked Canadians about our ability to protect elections from foreign interference and you can see only about one out of every five Canadians would rate our ability as very good or good. You know what Joyce, if our kids came home with that report card we'd send them back and we'd be worried about things. So the fact of the matter is is that right now there's not a lot of confidence in our ability to protect ourselves from foreign interference and uh, you know that's it's one of the things where what Canadians are probably wondering is, is what are we doing? What should we be doing? And, uh, and that, you know, right now, it's about China. And, uh, and this, is really, uh, this is really heating up. You know, the, the Canada-China binational relationship has been under stress for a number of years. Yes. With the detention of the Michaels, with the Huawei executive, all that kind of stuff. And now it's really coming to a head with, uh, with these allegations of election interference. So, you know, given the high number of concern, what is it, 80% of Canadians are concerned or somewhat concerned, yep. we're in a minority government. Do you think that something like this could turn into a ballot box issue? Well, it could turn into a ballot box issue if it's discovered that we're incompetent at defending ourselves from foreign interference or that things uh, were not done because, you know, a significant number of Canadians are concerned about this issue. But you know what, Joyce? It's kind of like a balancing act. You know, Canadians are worried about paying for the rent and the mortgage. They're obviously worried about this particular issue. And uh, I think it could be a risk for the Liberals if we find out that they've been mismanaging or not doing everything that they could do in order to protect the integrity of the electoral process in Canada. Are they 
did, did, did you ask or are they telling you that they believe the election was fair and square no, the last two elections? We didn't, ask, uh, we didn't ask that particular question. But, you know, one of the other questions that we asked had to do with consumer behavior. And I think this had to do with asking Canadians whether they are buying more, the same, or fewer Chinese-made goods compared to five years ago. And you know what? If I was in the Chinese government, I would worry about this particular stat because it's a killer stat. Two out of every three Canadians are reporting that they're purchasing fewer Chinese goods. Do you know what, Joyce? I don't think the Chinese government is worried about what I'll say, the yammerings of elected officials. What? Canadians not purchasing Chinese goods is a material threat to the well-being of China, especially if other countries start to do that or if, or if some sort of boycott starts to take steam because that impacts the bottom line in the economy in China. Okay, I want to go quickly. I know we don't have any more time, but I want to go to your seat. Okay, so you looked at, I'm trying to look at it now. Speaking of elections, so your latest seat projections show a widening, widening lead for Tories with 112 seats in the House ahead of a projected 96 for the Liberals, you know, who would be down 22. 77 ridings are too close to call. In, in a few seconds, talk to us about these, about these uh, last stats. Well, what we're seeing is, is that the structure of the Conservative vote is getting better at generating seats. And you know, the other thing is, is there are provinces like Ontario, which is now a problem for the Liberals, BC, which is in play, and now the block potentially on the upswing in Quebec. It's like everything's unwinding for the Liberals. They have to stop this. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in the budget to try to stem the tide right now. And what they do about the Chinese interference as well, because people are waiting and the House is back next week. So I imagine some of the questions will be on that. Hot Nick, seat, Joyce, yeah, hot seat. Exactly. Nick Nanos, thank you. And after a quick break, we bring you details of a disturbing human trafficking bust in Ontario. 64 Mexican nationals have been rescued. The latest is next. Stay with us. living in deplorable conditions, including overcrowding, with dozens of people sleeping on mattresses on the floor, a lack of food, a lack of privacy, and bugs. They also described forms of coercion and control, which included isolation, a lack of freedom, being financially bound, threats, and sexual assault. A disturbing bust today in Ontario where officers have uncovered an alleged human trafficking scheme resulting in the rescue of dozens of Mexican nationals. CTV's John Venavalli Rao joins us now with the details. Hey John, good to see you. What are we learning from police? We just heard, but what else can, we, can you tell us? Well, I mean, this was the York Regional Police uh, that held a press conference this morning along with border service agents. Uh, they're saying they, they got a tip back in November uh, from a migrant worker saying that they were facing just horrific conditions, working conditions and living conditions. And so police began to investigate. What they discovered was that there was a number of uh, Mexican nationals who were working in the greater Toronto area. They were working in factories and warehouses. Uh, on farms, um, made to work long hours, not paid overtime, paid far less than what they were told they were going to make. 
Uh, but not only that, they were living in just deplorable conditions. As you heard, uh, some of them were sleeping uh, on a mattress on the floor. Uh, we've heard 30 to 40 people were living in a, in a house. Um, and so this was not uh, what they had expected. Some of these uh, people had been in Mexico, had been recruited to come to Canada, thinking they were going to come here for a better life, make some money, maybe send some of that money back home, and instead wound up in a situation where, again, they were working in just deplorable conditions and afraid to uh, contact police or reach out to anybody for fear that they would in turn be arrested and deported back to Mexico. So police have had this investigation. They conducted a number of raids around the greater Toronto area. So far, they've arrested and charged five people. Two of them are Canadians. Three of them are Mexicans. They're also on the lookout for two other Mexicans that they say were a part of this uh, labor, labor ring that were, um, were leading to some deplorable conditions for migrant workers. What a horrible scam. Uh, John, but what happens now for the rescued workers? I mean, they, they clearly wanted to come to Canada. They stayed here in horrible conditions because, you know, they, they were hoping for a job. What happens to them now? What does the federal government, provincial governments do for them? Well, first of all, they were provided some supports by the police and by uh, folks in the York region. Uh, just to make sure that their health was okay, that they're being provided proper shelter and food. Uh, but that's the big question, you know, what does happen to them? A number of uh, migrant worker agencies in Toronto have actually been uh, in touch with some of these workers. Uh, they're ultimately concerned that some of these workers will just be put on a plane back to Mexico, uh, you know, at some point later this year or next year. They can apply, if you're the victim of human trafficking, you can apply to get a temporary uh, residence permit. Uh, to work in Canada for up to six months. And the federal government says that can be extended out to three years. But, you know, a lot of these migrant agencies say ultimately uh, a lot of these migrants just end up going back to the countries from where they came. And they, they really feel that the problem is the whole system that we have in Canada. We're bringing in so many temporary workers into this country. A lot of them don't know their rights. They're being abused. And so a lot of these agencies are pushing for Canada to ultimately give more people permanent residency so that when they come here, they don't have to fear uh, being deported if, if, in fact, they report abusive uh, working conditions. And that would allow them, indeed, to report that abusive behavior. John, thanks so much for this. That's CTV's John Venavali Rao in Toronto. And your Friday strategy session is still ahead. But first, the political stories you need to know. The list is next. Stay with us. And welcome back to Power Play. This is the list what's happening in politics today. And I U.S. Want to President thank you Joe Biden. for your strong and steady leadership. And I mean that sincerely. It's made a world of difference. And uh, together, we made good on our promise. You stepped up to provide critical Joe military Biden's support. national security advisor and, you know, said that the U.S. That sent battle tanks to Ukraine because Schultz made it a precondition for Germany sending their own. And, and of course, people will say, "Oh, it must have, must have been, must have been obvious to you that uh, something was uh, was, was awry and, and so on." You've got to remember what it's like being being prime minister. You are you you, you do what your civil servants uh, advise you to do, instruct you to do. You you move from one event to the next. You have a massively regimented diary. Uh, there were a number of events, as everybody everybody knows, uh, where I uh, went very briefly to say thank you to to staff and and. And that, and that kind of thing. Uh, but I believed implicitly 
that these events were within the rules. Former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson defending the so-called Partygate scandal. He's set to testify later this month at an inquiry over whether or not he misled Parliament. Johnson and other senior government figures had been holding parties when the rest of the UK was under lockdown, breaking his own government's COVID-19 rules. The scandal ultimately led to his downfall as prime minister. If the inquiry finds he misled Parliament, Johnson could face sanctions, including losing his current seat in the House of Commons. Today's announcement for $10 a day childcare in Manitoba comes less than two years after we reached an agreement with the province. We have agreements with all provinces and territories to make uh, childcare more affordable for families. We're seeing results here in Manitoba and across the country. Families in nearly half of provinces and territories are now benefiting from an average of $10 a day or less. Manitoba is the latest province to achieve a $10 per day daycare, three years ahead of schedule. Today, Yukon, Quebec, Nunavut and Manitoba have announced that they've reached the $10 average and says the whole country is on track to meet the fee rate by 2026 deadline. And coming up, will the PM answer calls for an election interference inquiry? Our Friday panel of strategists digs in next. Stay right here, and here they are, and stay right here with PowerPlay. As we move forward, as these processes unfold, I'm sure they will highlight more that we need to do, areas we need to do more, and we will be there to do whatever is necessary to meet two goals. First of all, to ensure that our election integrity holds, that our democracy is defended against foreign interference, and second, that Canadians can have confidence in our institutions, in our democracies, in our ability to defend ourselves. An increasingly frustrated Prime Minister Justin Trudeau facing questions on reported foreign state-sponsored election interference and Canadian confidence in the electoral system after opposition MPs passed a motion calling for a national public inquiry into foreign election interference. The Parliamentary Committee studying foreign meddling said two days of highly anticipated testimony from top intelligence spy and election officials. Here are some highlights. And you're not investigating. That's We're not investigating any elements from the 2019 or the 2021 elections. We did not receive any actionable intelligence uh, that would warrant us to initiate a criminal investigation. The actors who are engaged in foreign interference against Canadians do so at all levels of government, at the federal, provincial and municipal level, uh, and they're doing it across party lines. But to be clear, the threat does not come from the Chinese people but rather from the Chinese Communist Party and the government of China. So can the Prime Minister continue to dig in his heels on an inquiry or have officials sufficiently calmed Canadians' interference anxiety? Let's take this to our panel of strategists. Greg McEachern has advised politicians at all three levels of government and worked on the communications team for two national election campaigns. 
Greg leans liberal. Larissa Waller from GT and Company. She previously served as the head of communications for Ontario Premier Doug Ford. And Anne McGrath is national director of the NDP. Welcome to the three of you. Nice to have you on the show. It is Friday. That's also a good thing. Um, you know, Greg, with all the reassuring the prime minister has done or is trying to do this week, uh, you saw the Nanos poll. And, you know, Canadians don't seem to be convinced or reassured at all. So do you think he will give in to the call for a public inquiry? If you had asked me on Monday what I, you know, I would have been that cliche we use about, you know, daylight and, you know, is, is good, uh, sunlight, you know, transparency. Best disinfectant. <clears throat> yeah, I would, have, I would have gone along with that because usually that's right. But we saw this week, and one of the good things I did see is, you know, parliamentarians on all side admit that there are th some things we're not going to talk about publicly and we're not going to discuss. But, you know, there was an overheated breathlessness to the coverage and the talk around this week. It reminded me of during a campaign where the stories are just coming. They're coming almost a bit too fast. And I want to kind of set the table here. The initial story um, was from Global News, and there's a statement, 23 paragraphs down in that story, that says Global News cannot confirm the CISA's allegations in this story. And we saw a lot of that this week, where there's a lot of stories that say alleged sources. Um, we saw from the testimony of officials that intelligence does not equal facts. And I would have been for an inquiry, and I think we're coming off Justice Rouleau's inquiry, and we thought it went really well. But remember, there's a mandate there. After you use the Emergencies Act, by a certain time you have to have the yes. inquiry, and then there's deadlines. And even still, those deadlines got pushed a little bit. So I'm not sure an inquiry is the right issue. I am kind of looking now to the, um, the uh, National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. They have top secret clearance. I had secret when I was on the Hill. Top secret's pretty high. There are higher. But you notice a lot of the MPs that are on that committee, you never see quoted on something like that with good reason because they have, you know, sworn an oath to do this. And I think perhaps that might be the area we want to um, perhaps charge them with doing a little bit more yeah. around this. And, and, and I want to bring you in, Anne, because that committee does have access to classified documents, all of them, not redacted. And they are MPs from all parties. So why not start with that? Because we were told by the head of CSIS, by the National Security Advisor, that we're not going to be able to say more than we told the MPs at the committee this week on a public inquiry anyway. These are top secrets. Our partners and our allies wouldn't like that. So they're kind of in a bind, my understanding. And why not going go to this National Security Committee of parliamentarians made up of members of your, of your party as well and go listen to the facts and then come back knowing what the facts are. Of course, they'll have to give a redacted report because, to Parliament. Because it is so top secret. There, there is, the, the public does have a right to know, maybe not everything yes. around this, but they, but they have a right to know because they've been alerted now to a problem that we saw and we saw that they care about it. Um, and so I think that a public inquiry is the way to go. Uh, and you can have a public inquiry and still have redacted documents or, con you know, kind of secret, uh, top secret uh, uh, meetings to look over unredacted documents. You can still have that as part of a public inquiry, as we saw with the Rulo Commission. So I think that 
The public is very concerned about this, as they should be, and all of the assurances about how, you know, this didn't have an impact on the outcome of the election, nobody is saying that. So, so that is answering a question that is not being asked asked like people True. aren't saying that they that, that the election outcome would have been different that doesn't mean that there isn't a high level of concern about what's going on and it might you know we don't know it because it is all unconfirmed anonymous uh you know sources that can't be revealed all of that kind of thing so we don't know but there is enough there that that it that it makes people worry and absolutely wonder. And, and so they we, need to know and the head of CSIS i mean there, there was no denying that there is that out there. There is pressure to, you know, on perhaps, uh, you know, Chinese Canadian community and other communities, not only that community. So, uh, Larissa, I want to bring you in because the conservative leader is also calling for a public inquiry, but, you know, both CSIS, the national security advisor, said they won't say more, you know, on a public inquiry and, and this info is classified and it will remain classified. So, is there a little bit of or a lot of political posturing going on I really on don't a topic think so. that should be very important. That is an important topic. I, I think it's a super important topic. Um, I don't think that there's political posturing. Anne said it. The public's been made aware. So if they wanted to keep this at their super secret committee with their top secret clearance, which is a very legitimate thing to do, you should have done that months ago. You know, the Conservatives flagged these issues during the election to the to the um, to the government to the election monitor, and and now the public's been made aware. What is the harm of a public inquiry? If they do the public inquiry and CISA says we can't tell you more, at least the public will have, you know, the reassurance and the confidence that their prime minister took this seriously. You know, in the clip you played setting up this piece, he, he answered uh, by saying there's two priorities: one that the election integrity is maintained. Two, that Canadians have confidence to defend themselves. No one's saying that right now. What we're saying is Canadians don't have confidence that the government is taking Chinese interference seriously. He has to prove to the public that he takes it seriously, and he's just brushing it aside. I don't see what a public inquiry, how that could hurt. And the fact that he's not doing it makes people think that there's more that he's hiding. And, and if that's the mm. case, then, you know, like, we have to have that conversation. So, so, so let me ask you, the, the, then, let me start with you, Craig. There's also other tools, other mechanisms. For instance, the Foreign Agent Registry. That is a registry that, for instance, Australia has, the United States has, of foreign agents who come into Canada to work uh, on behalf of a government or on behalf of a foreign, a foreign entity. Why not that? Why, why not, why not I, other mechanisms? Yeah, I, because I, we, if we indeed are unprotected and we don't know what's going yeah, on, we, really. we saw this with the with the Trump government. Some of the people that were around Donald Trump were then revealed to be working for foreign entities, foreign countries. I don't have an issue with that. I do have an issue, though, that there is an overblown, um, you know, political uh, edge to this. Where I'm not sure. My part of my hesitation around a public inquiry is the length, like public expectations. We want this now. We weren't talking about this two weeks ago. Um, we were talking about health care. So I'm not sure the public is going to be satisfied by the delay in an inquiry. And I think there are other things that the government could be doing sooner. I think there's things that the opposition could be doing. You know, the, the leader of the opposition called uh, a gentleman more uh, that was uh, their direct deputy minister for foreign affairs, yes. you know, a, a liberal crony. Another MP called a Liberal MP a agent of Beijing. 
And I know Larissa is aware of this because we've both seen the same tweet. And I think that's horrendous. And I think that's where when the government, you know, took heat for saying, like, we have to watch racism. And people said, well, no, 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 no one's actually doing yeah, that. We do. Well, there is a case. Yeah. And we, we see the precedent. Post 9-11, there were certain communities that were targeted. Canada's history is not great on this. Yeah. Japanese internment. So I do think that I would like to see people just to kind of take a deep breath and calm down and make sure we're doing the right thing, as opposed to some political window dressing. Tabling legislation, you know, to, to, to better protect against these kinds of pressures, not only, again, coming from China. We heard at the beginning of the show that they come from other countries Correct. as well. These people that are pressured don't know where to go. So there are other mechanisms. Give I us an example I of what you would like to see, other than the public inquiry, other mechanisms to show the government to, so the government can show they're doing something. So right now there are a variety of things like the commissioner of uh, uh, of elections is doing something. There there is like there there are a variety of sort of kind of investigations or reports or whatever. But the, the but the public inquiry I think is is uh, is where they are going to end up having to go to some extent. Like I don't know in, in yeah. what way. But you know a kind of basic rule of issues management in politics is well number one tell the truth, but number two figure out where the issue is going and go there. First. Yes, go at, get ahead of the issue. Okay, so yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree they're not getting ahead of the issue. But Larissa, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the, the last word. What else would you like to see? Would you like to see this foreign agent registry? Would, uh, uh, you know, tabling a bill that would give the RCMP different, uh, different rules, uh, broader investigative tools? What would you like to see? I'm smiling because it just always feels like we'll do a blue ribbon panel and everything will be fine. Um, there's so many governmentese things that really don't ever result in anything. So the foreign agents registry, sure, that could work. Um, that could maybe give a little bit of um, reassurance to people. Um, but I think we're at to answer and we're, we're beyond that. Um, the government, if they were serious about this, serious about getting to the bottom of this, they would have started this months ago when they knew that this was happening. They only started doing stuff when it came to public, uh, to public light. And now the public wants action. So they are responsible to maintain public trust. And the prime minister is refusing to do that. Well, we'll see. I mean, the House is returning next week. I'm betting that my money is on questions will be about that. Yeah, Just I think so. on that. And we'll see. But yeah, the conversation, and I agree with you, Larissa, the conversation is not over. It's just beginning. So let's see where it goes and let's see if, if the government can get ahead, as you say, Anne, of, uh, of this conversation. So thanks to, both, to the three of you, Greg McEachran, Larissa Waller and Anne McGrath. Thank you for being here and coming up. Parliament is not sitting this week, but it was still an eventful week on the Hill. Our press gallery panel will hand out their political plays and misplays for the week. For this past week, keep watching Power Play. We will be back right after these breaks. And welcome back. The majority of parliamentarians were away from Ottawa this week, but nevertheless, it was not a quiet week on the Hill. So who scored political wins and who suffered losses? Let's bring in the press gallery to hound, hand out the political plays and misplays of the week. Joining me now are CTV News senior digital parliamentary reporter Rachel Ayello. She writes the Capital Dispatch newsletter. 
a must-read. I, I keep saying that, but it's true. And Susan Delacourt is a columnist with the Toronto Star, also a must-read. I know I said that before. <laughs> um, welcome. Good to see you. Happy Friday. Um, happy Friday, yes. And we're happy it's Friday. Um, so, um, Rachel... Yeah. You both have misplays today, so it's yeah. a grumpy Friday, but you have a misplay. What is it? So I'm giving my misplay to the entire Procedure and House Affairs Committee this week uh, for how they comported themselves. I will say points to them for at least letting the witnesses finish before they like completely devolved into procedural shenanigans. Uh, but largely, I think they all, in their own way, made their case for why that committee's work isn't going to be where this all gets uh, revealed and solved into the bottom of. Um, I just think that it was uh, a lot of partisanship. The questions that were being asked, there was a lot of posturing. And that is par for the course in parliamentary committees, to be sure. Uh, but we had Michael Cooper, the Conservative MP, accuse a uh, bureaucrat, a senior intelligence official, of using PMO talking points. Uh, and then we had NDP MP Peter Julian, after spending hours hearing from witnesses telling him left, right and center that uh, we can't say any more to public inquiry than we can tell you here, still went ahead and pushed and passed this motion for uh, public inquiry. It's just, it was a missed opportunity, I think, to get to the bottom of things, to actually have a, like, let's bring the temperature down, let's listen to these people. And it just seemed that time and time again, they weren't actually absorbing or seeming to want to hear what the officials were telling them, and then just to turn around and push for the public inquiry, even though everyone's saying NSI COP is the place to do this. Uh, I just thought overall it was, it was a miss. Yeah, and I'm, I'll go even further than you, because I don't think that's what they wanted to hear, because they were hearing CSIS, the RCMP, uh, the National Security Advisor the day before saying, yes, we know this, yes, but the election is, was still fair and square, there's not much we can say. They were answering as much as they could, Susan. Did it look a little bit like a political circus? Because I think one of the MPs on was calling it a circus himself. Yeah, the, the biggest argument they were making for a public inquiry was their own behavior. It was, I, I found myself wanting an inquiry to take it out of their hands because they were behaving as badly as Rachel was saying. Um, it's not that Commons committees can't do a good job. We saw them do yes. that with Hockey Canada. They, it, if they can put their partisanship aside, this is a hard one to do, though, because it's about elections. But it is, it is possible. And, uh, and they missed the chance, too. I, I, I was embarrassed at some points for the, um, for the MPs, the way they behaved around, especially around some of the senior officials, too. And uh, it, they seem to have one eye always on, how can I turn this into a clip to send to my supporters? So um, I'm one of the people this week that was asking for an inquiry, simply because I don't think that spectacle is serving us well. Well, I think that kind of, we have to keep in mind that all of the officials are saying we would have a lot more to say at the National Security Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. I understand it's behind closed doors. I understand there's a lot of but wanting. They have access yes. to If you want answers and you want to get to the bottom of it, we heard MPs say repeatedly this week that, like, well, we're asking you these questions. We want clarity and you can't give us answers. And they're like, we understand that but we could give answers to some of your colleagues if we did this behind closed doors. Like, there's a certain degree that we all have to rationally understand here. We're talking about national security issues. Uh, and I think there's a bit of faith being lost in the way this is being communicated from all sides of, like, not actually upholding what the national officials are saying and pointing to their assurances up and down that, you know, I understand there's concerns and there's lots of questions to get to the bottom of, but at the end of the day, 
the integrity of these elections were upheld. And let's not take our eye off the ball of there could be another one in a couple years. And what are we doing to make sure, while kind of looking at what happened in the past, that the next one we are ready for to ensure that further involvement in foreign interference is you know, ready to be countered. So there's political gain, obviously, for the opposition here. Susan, you've been <laughs> analyzing this place for years. Yeah, there is. But um, I don't know that I've seen an opposition party um, or, or opposition parties questioning the results of an election. And I think that's... They say they're not, and, I, and points to Mr. Polyev this week saying, I accept the results yes. of the... yes. And he was very clear. But I think they want to be really careful about the damage they're doing to a future election campaign. If the Conservatives uh, have it in their mind that they want to be the next government, you want to make sure that Canadians believe that you, you got their, that job yeah. by rights. And if you're devaluing the currency at the same time, I, I just think they should be really careful about the way they're talking about elections in Canada. And the same goes to journalists, too. Yes. You know, I think yes. there, was, there were some journalism lessons handed out yes, this week, by, too. Yes, uh, by the, the official, I know. But I want to get to your, um, yeah, because we could talk about this again and again, and I'm sure we're going to do this next week when the House comes back. But you have a misplay as well. And it's, um, it's a blast from last week. <laughs> um, I know that Justin Ling, when he was here last week, gave a misplay to Pierre Polyev and the MPs who met with Christine Anderson, the German parliamentarian who has some extremely far-right views. And Mr. Polyev issued a denial, and that denial has done nothing but cause him trouble. First of all, because it's probably not true. He said that nobody knew anything about this parliamentarian. The MPs have been quiet all week about it, um, which I don't know what to make of that. Um, and maybe they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I wouldn't. Those who met with her, yeah. Uh, um, and yeah, this is not the way a seasoned politician acts. You don't issue denials of things that are patently easy to prove. They, of course, they knew who they were meeting with. Yeah, I mean, he did call her politics vile in yeah. his statement, but he hasn't yet he hasn't yet answered a question on it. What do you make of his handling? Well, I think it's not the first time that we've seen him come out and use quite strong language. We saw in the case of Jeremy McKenzie and Diagalon when they were making threats against his wife. So he has kind of built up this pattern of issuing a statement with very strong language, kind of trying to put it to bed, thinking that like he satiated journalists' curiosities by addressing it. But I think Susan is right to question the uh, authenticity or genuine nature behind that statement. It's kind of a pro forma thing to just put a statement out there and be like, I've never talked to her and I, I'd like completely call this out. Uh, but if that's all you're doing and there's no sort of like punishment for the MPs that did this or any sort of signaling, then he's kind of having his cake and eating it too, right? Because he's able to say this and kind of try to put the issue to bed, but then low-key seeming at least to condone it. Um, and I did think it was a bit interesting in the Globe today, uh, there was a, a Freedom Convoy supporter saying that, you know, they felt used by Polyev for kind of backing that movement and then coming out and, and decrying this uh, MP. And I just thought that was kind of interesting that they finally realized like politicians are going to politician yes uh, yes <laughs> that policy, exactly no that's uh, so true so i think there's probably a lesson for yeah. everyone in this of uh mm. and that's unfortunately all the time but it's true there is certainly a lesson here uh, let's see if they learn it uh, rachel yellow susan delacourt 
thank you for being there. And that's your Power Play Week in politics. Thank you for spending your time with us. We'll be back right here on Monday. And now we're going to hand you over to our colleague, Angie Seth, in Toronto. Have a great weekend.